0: Michigan
1: Soccer Central! Hello, listener, and welcome to Michigan Soccer Central. This is your source for Michigan soccer coverage and information. Each week on this show, we're going to highlight the biggest stories in the state, catch you up on the scores and the results from the weekend, as well as dig deeper and have some real in-depth conversations throughout the week. Hi, my name is Robert Kerr, and to help navigate through these half-dozen or so a- Pro Amateur Leagues, and the dozens and dozens of teams, my partner, Zuhair Issa. Hello, zoo Welcome
0: on. How's it going, Rob? Hello, everybody.
1: Um, fantastic. Like I said, there's lots and lots to dig through. Very active weekend in Michigan soccer. To help us with all this, Dave Street. how's it going? Good. How are you guys? Awesome. It's a
2: solid night here in Kegel Harbor, where I am.
1: Okay. So where are you at, zoo I'm in Clausen, Michigan. Where are you?
0: Uh, I'm up in New Baltimore. Okay. Ooh, so-
1: we've got some coverage here. <laughs> and then we're also expanding and uh, getting, uh, trying to deepen the Michigan Soccer Central network to get voices from all across the state involved in here. With all that happened this weekend, May 9th, Mother's Day weekend, what are the headlines in uh, Michigan Soccer Zoo?
0: So we had both of our NISA teams uh, back in action this past weekend. Uh, We had uh, the Stars taking on Chattanooga, uh, and then you had DCFC taking on New Amsterdam FC. Uh, So both of our NISA teams got to play this weekend. Uh, We'll get to Dave talking about a little bit about uh, UWS uh, and the WPSL, uh, a little bit about the preview of the season, kind of growth in Michigan. Uh, Get Dave to talk a little bit more about that. And then we'll get to you, Rob, talking about your team. USL2 kicked off with Oakland County. Uh, Talking a little bit about that game and that experience and uh, Demarcus Beasley coming to town.
1: Yeah, that it was quite a day, I'll say. I'm I'm grateful to be in some dry, warm clothes again, but it was wonderful to be at a soccer stadium, working in soccer once again. It's been too long. But rewind the clock a little bit to Friday night. Detroit City FC once again putting up a 1-0 score line. And I put it in our chat earlier in the weekend, it's got to be, I think it's about time that uh, Detroit City FC coach Trevor James gets some major kudos turning through these 1-0 wins. They look like the most professional, well-rounded, most uh, consistent team in that division right now.
2: Yeah, it's it's nice to see, I mean, you always want to win by more, right? But those slim one nothing margins, you start doing that again and again, and you just get comfortable with that, and it's and then when you score more goals, all of a sudden it gets really comfortable. So well, I agree with you that he needs to get some kudos, some accolades for what they've been doing.
1: I mean, you didn't yeah, really that... ever see him in doubt. Go ahead, Zo.
0: Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, and that, that's kind of like a telltale sign of, uh, you know, a championship team or a champion champion winning team. Yes. Um, because when those teams are able to grind out results, you don't, you know, that's what makes the good teams good is when they're not doing so good, they're able to still grind out that three points. Yeah. And I,
2: you know, I saw today I watched, I'm, I'm sorry to talk about, you know, EPL, but I, I heard Luke Shaw today talk about Manchester United and they were down for the 15th time this year, down a goal. Uh, and they came back and won again the 10th time today. And he said that, you know, they said, what did, Ole, what did Ole Gunnar Solskjaer say to you at halftime? He said, well, basically said, hey, we've been here before. We know how to do this. Let's go out and take care of the business. And it's very reminiscent of what DCFC is doing, right? Grinding out these wins it's very much the same every time.
1: And they, I think once they keep doing that, they're comfortable with the one goal margin. They don't, some teams can even be up two or three goals and they they can even look shaky. But they they're just scraping it by, and you never really looked worried. It's amazing. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> you got anything else on
0: Detroit Zoo? Uh, I have nothing going forward. Uh, I I would say that they do look really strong. They're definitely looking like a well-rounded team um, who's looking to dominate Nisa, and they're making that mission uh, they're making it come to reality. Yeah,
1: since Trevor James came on board, since they've they've moved into. Tanisa, they I think they lost or tied like maybe once. Yeah, it's been pretty
2: consistent winning, agreed. <laughs> and, or not losing at least.
1: And they were they were known for having like the unbelievable support. And now it's the, the play on the field is matching and surpassing that. And the support mm-hmm. is at the same level as the the product on the field these days.
2: Yeah, it's great. It's great to see.
1: And uh Michigan's uh, second Nisa team. Apologies for that uh, preface, but Saturday night the Michigan Stars fell two to one down in Chattanooga, and uh, the end of the game kind of popped off there.
2: It really did, and you know they they had a lead and the, you know, it looked like it was in control, didn't it? I mean Chattanooga Chattanooga was pressuring even when they were down 1-0. They were pressuring quite handily, quite readily, and when they get a goal in the eightieth minute.
0: Yep, or the eighty eighth minute. Yeah, right, They had the one one, or the the game winning one was in ninety the ninety fourth minute. Yeah, I correct. Think.
2: Yeah, so they got two goals late, and um, you know, it's like we've it's again, it's like DCFC is consistent one way, and the stars seem to be consistent in another way, don't they?
1: <laughs> See, when I saw yeah, the stars at home in their home opener. Um, they looked solid at the back. I was impressed with their goalie. He took care of all the business at the back. He was almost sweeper keeper style, but apparently his, um, his actions as far as apparently feigning injury and maybe, Mm -hmm. um, doing some, some, some time wasting sort of activities kind of got under the skin of, uh, Chattanooga a little bit. And so when (laughs) Chattanooga scores their, uh, controversially late penalty uh the celebration was um what would you say provocative he the the chattanooga (laughs) goal scorer takes the penalty scores runs around the back of the net and then dives and holds his leg in front of the goalie gets up from that celebration Mm -hmm. and then blows a kiss to the star's bench
3: yep which uh
1: and so basically they get back to center field final whistle goes and uh lots of people come out into the field and uh, all meet up with each other in the middle
0: <laughs> yeah it was uh and you can kind of see it when you start over looking at the game like the last five minutes you can kind of see the tension starting mm-hmm. to build uh and you can see a lot of that frustration from that chattanooga team and they were throwing the kitchen sink at them mm-hmm. um but then we rewatched that video uh and there was some controversy i know the stars weren't happy about that how much time was added on. But I mean, if you really go back and watch it, I feel like the ref was doing an okay job of adding that time on for everything that was wasted with the cards, giving out, um, with this stopping like little scuffles in the box and leading to that handball, which led to the penalty, which led to them losing. And that's nothing new. That time, Mm -hmm. the amount of time that gets added on a game is nothing
2: new, um, ever, right? It's minimum amount.
1: So we're going to have conversations, uh, in, in this week. And then, uh, in the middle of the week come out about ownership and from large clubs to small grassroots to like mega billionaire clubs. I mean, ownership matters. And in a lot of the time, I mean, they can really have a heavy hand in where teams go, but just on a simpler level, how do you think this reflects like uh, with their social media jumping in? And I know accounts and brands kind of like speak like they're people. And it's, 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 it's a strange distinction between, you know, being glib and then actually having legitimate gripes and how teams and brands express themselves online. But what do you think about the approach of the Stars and how they're reacting to um, their perceived injustices?
0: Um, I would say that, you know, I run our social media for LK. And, you know, whenever I say things personally, I always say this is my own viewpoint. I say this is opinion of my own, not of the club. Um but anything that i tweet out on lk's account usually is just, you know, straightforward or to the point or nothing crazy uh whereas, you know, that kind of post i feel like that's more that should be kept indoors almost where you're talking to the club unless there's a blatant uh like continuous uh malfeasance from the the league i feel like you can just talk to that internally. Um we had an issue in the MWPL and it was talked about internally rather than uh, they could have posted those clips anywhere. Uh, there was, a, just for mm-hmm. ba- uh, backstory, there was like a rough tackle, some complaints about refereeing, and they just talked about it to the league rather than tweeting about it. And it was squashed easier there because then I feel like you get on social media, then we get sucked into this, you know, back and forth and who's right, and I'm arguing, and I don't know. Yeah, it's it's never good when that happens. And, you know, I I I've been
2: really paying attention to this level of the game for about seven years now. I coached the Michigan Stars in 2014. Um, and I just feel like we've seen it before. We saw it last fall right in the cup down at DC, down at uh, Keyworth when they felt they weren't being um, treated fairly by the refs and we're seeing it again now. And I, I just feel like it was a, was it zoo? You said just you, something that should be kept in house.
0: Yeah, that was uh that's what I said. Yeah. Those,
2: those kinds of complaints should be kept in house. That's something that, um, you know, we don't complain about referees out in the public. Like, like that it, it's something that happens with the game and, and the, the referee is part of the game and we just need to keep, I agree to keep that in house and um, you continually complain
0: about it. And it's usually doesn't go your way. And kind of uh, not off topic, but kind of ironic that I also saw this today. My uh, I have a brother who plays in Liverpool's Academy. Um, and today the, their coach, the opposition's coach was not keeping the parents in line. And they were berating the ref, the ref gave the coach a card, which I thought was an interesting take on how to keep the crowd under control as well. Mm-hmm. Did we lose but, yeah, Nope. We're all still here, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> just going back to the stars, the stars. Um, yeah, they do. They, they get a lot of, I mean, I guess you could call it harassment online. I, I see the Michigan No Stars account, um, but that just comes with the territory, I almost yeah. feel like. In the DCFC, their fans are ruthless. Yep, yeah, they really are. They really are. And um,
2: there's something to be said for, you know, because I, I got to tell you, last fall when we had the Champions Cup, right? Was that what it was called in Donna Keyworth? They had that. Yeah, cup. yeah. they played really, really well in that. And I thought they should be proud of the way they played and they felt like they got, got some bad calls and stuff. And I remember going back and forth on Twitter or something with one of the fans or someone who posted something. I just said, you guys should be proud of the way you play because they really did play well and they have played some pretty good soccer. Um, And, but I feel like there's those things that just nip that just nibble at them at the edges and it it gets them out out of their comfort zone. And I mean, I, I really have been impressed with some of the football they've been playing. And I think they should concentrate on that, the positives of what they're doing on the field.
1: That's a good shout, Dave. You're right. It did seem like the the stars were, were, were coming and they were like getting to another level. They really they seemed like are. they were they were a threat.
2: I, I think they still are there and you know, they just need to eliminate some of that, in my opinion. They just need to eliminate some of that extracurricular stuff extracurricular stuff. You know, and some of that might be left over from the previous owners, the previous years, the previous stuff. Um and so I just feel like the brand of football they've been playing and what they're doing, you know, what they're creating, it's pretty good. And if they could just tighten up the the stuff that goes public and just keep it, like you said, Zoo, keep it in-house, I think they would be really – they'd be doing well for themselves.
1: So both NISA teams in action. Detroit victorious 1-0, stars falling 2-1 with late dramatics. Mm-hmm. but moving closer to home back home in Michigan a big weekend for women's soccer the UWS and UWS2 between them uh the two divisions they have about i think 16 clubs active this summer uh can you go through some of those scores for us dave
2: oh well um i Talked with uh, League Commissioner Joe Ferrara, uh, and um, he's going to fill us in on some of that. But I do know that the hometown team, uh, Corktown, won 9 nothing on the weekend, and they are have been just blazing through their scores, even back to last year, just running over everybody. Um, but the, the discussion with Joe will be uh, enlightening for all of us. He's going to be on in just a little bit here.
1: In other scores, uh, Grand Haven Admirals took down uh, Corktown AFC's uh, youth team to. uh, Actually, it was tie one to one. Midwest United uh, beat Lansing United four to two. Um, I thought there was like nine games. I only see three. Did we have more Mm -hmm. games than that, Dan?
0: No, I think that was it. Yeah, that was it for the weekend.
1: Oh, I thought there was like nine games going on. Or was that next weekend?
0: <laughs> there was a lot of games, but I think there's only three women's games.
1: <laughs> well, I
0: guess I'm getting excited.
1: Well, next weekend maybe. That's that's the big big weekend and It is. Doesn't it take is. anything away from the explosion of uh of teams here in Michigan and uh looking forward to Dave's conversation with Joe Ferrara
2: um joe's joe's been around he so he was the league president way back when the uws started um and he's now doing some commissioner work uh they've they've hired a lot of good people in that organization um uh when the detroit sun played in that league and i was on the sun staff um we got to know them very well at nscwa conventions and other places and Um, and the group that they put together they've slowly built that league it was really fledgling for a couple years just a couple divisions with just some teams but it's really taking some taking hold now and um when joe jumps on here in a little bit he'll be able to um, tell us all about the league structure about the um the weekend and the results that really piqued his interest and what he sees as being uh the the um landscape of the league and of women's soccer, not only in the Midwest, not only in Michigan and the Midwest, but nationally as well.
1: So let's go to that conversation between Dave Hibbert street and Joe Ferrara, UWS league commissioner.
2: I'm here with Joe Ferrara, the league commissioner of the United women's soccer league. And we're going to talk today about some of the opportunities that the league presents for players Uh, as well as the makeup of the league and possibly some of the notable performances from this past weekend and what we're looking forward to next weekend with a full slate of games. So, Joe, tell me a little bit about the makeup of the league.
3: Yes, uh, Dave, thanks for having me on. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to discuss uh, United Women's Soccer. Um, You know, UWS uh, has a, has a, a, a dual purpose for us. Uh, it's a, a kind of a, a stepping stone for for players looking for a professional opportunity. You know, we've had so many players to, uh, sign professional contracts after uh, playing in UWS, whether it's uh, domestically here with NWSL or or many international professional leagues. Uh, but it also gives the uh, college uh, player uh, the opportunity to, to hone their skills as well and uh, you know be fit and ready for for their college college season after our season is over.
2: Yeah, that's great. So we've got, we've got opportunities for players who are, again, trying to stay in shape for their college seasons uh, and players who are maybe having a renaissance in their career on uh, getting back into the game after some absences or, or extended absence. So uh, talk to me about some of the notable players that have moved on from the UWS to professional contracts
3: uh yes you know uh, uh, interestingly enough uh coincidentally enough a couple a couple of michigan uh products that that uh, you know we're we're excited about and, and how their careers have moved forward uh bethany balker had, had played for for grand rapids and then uh moved on to uh, uh the nwsl Seattle. uh, uh manny uh with uh also from from grand rapids uh F.C., uh, moved on to to play with the Portland Thorns. Um, You know, a great story is Kate Howarth, uh, who played for the New England Mutiny. Um, Coincidentally enough, is uh, from Michigan herself, Uh, born and raised, played uh, played soccer out out in the Midwest, but moved uh, here to the East Coast and was playing for the New England Mutiny for, uh, you know, well over six, seven years. Uh, had a job as, as a firefighter here in, in the Boston area and had such a great season in the UWS that he was picked up by the Orlando Pride last year and, and signed, signed a contract with, with the Pride. Um, so, you know, all great stories about uh, you know, players moving on you know, to pro level. That's
2: great. So those three stories have Michigan ties, of course, um, and um, you know we've got Bethany Balser scoring goals and um, starting and playing a lot out Seattle Rain. Maddie Pogard um, defensive efforts. Um, you know she's she's on the team fully and she sees a lot of um, substitution and backup minutes. But again, uh, and then Kate Howard with three different stories, but three success stories is coming out of the UWS. It's great, and we talk about how the league provides opportunities for players with different ideas of what they want to do um talk to me about how the league structure um may may support that or facilitate that with the types of uh, scheduling and travel and the number of teams and conferences and all that so tell me a little bit about the league structure and how that might help
3: yeah so we have uh you know over you know nearly 40 teams uh throughout the united states uh but at this level a a very important uh facet is to uh, you know provide a, a geographically sensible model uh, for for travel. So you know our teams play regionally within their their own conferences. Uh, we have six conferences through, throughout the nation: uh, the Midwest, the East, the Southeast, Southwest, the Central, and the West Coast. Um, so they all play within their their regional divisions, and. Those champions will will meet in, in a singular place for a national championship. Um, and being very sensitive to the to the travel budget of, uh, of owning a team at this level, um, so it's very important that um, you know we, we, we gain a footprint, uh, but at the same point maintain our minimum standards.
2: Sure. So that scheduling and that regional competition is really important in. Facilitating teams not overstretching themselves and playing within their means and things like that. So that's important. Tell me how the UWS two, which is new this year, right? Um, is that when you say you got forty teams? That's not including UWS two, right? Correct. Tell me how the UWS two, uh, what it's there for, and how it how it differs from UWS one from the from the top league.
3: Yes, uh, you know UWS two will actually have a, a a much much larger footprint. It'll be more. Uh, uh, travel friendly. Uh, the the idea of UWS2 is to you know provide teams uh, you know w- with a with a with a price point that uh, you know allows uh, you know many teams to, to participate and you know get get teams prepared for you know potential level of UWS1, but also to be more of a a developmental model for uh, for teams and players to to. You know those that are just interested in, in, in playing matches uh, within a uh, an even uh, uh, lesser uh, geographical area, uh, in, in in providing those opportunities for for those female players.
2: It's awesome. So that's a new league this year formed. Um, that was that the league pushing for that, or was that the member clubs pushing? How did the, how did the US two come to fruition?
3: You no, know, it was a combination of both. Actually, it was uh, you know our member clubs uh, you know looking to have uh, you know reserve teams and and increase their their player pool for uh, you know their 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 clubs. But it was also uh, you know a, a look at the, the landscape of women's soccer and seeing uh, you know so many uh, amateur adult teams out there and uh, you know those that that want to participate that. At such, you know, a lower price point, and uh, that may not be so interested in, you know, all the bells and whistles of, of minimum standards and a national championship pitcher, uh, but providing uh, you know opportunities for for female players uh, during the summer months. Very cool. So that's uh, how
2: many teams are in the UWS two? Uh,
3: Roughly, yeah. We we currently have uh, uh, over. I believe forty teams in the EWS League Two, and it you know, just came out uh, for for one year. Uh, we have several commitments for twenty twenty two already. Uh, okay. We just think uh, you know, that model is is it, just uh, taking off. Yeah, I think it's it's a model
2: that's taking off for a second. It's also one that's good. We talk about developmentally appropriate, right? It's developmentally developmentally appropriate to have something like that. To have a a reserve team or a league. So how, how does it work? Um, so let's say that um, a team has a team in both leagues. Are they able to – those pass cards um, easily work between the two leagues or, or is, there, is it a pretty formal um, situation to get a player from league two to league one or what?
3: Yeah, you, you know, we're having it uh, a first-year league. We're, we're kind of moving through those that process. So, uh, you know, we've come up with a plan of having, uh, you know, um, that movement and, and trying to figure out what, what makes sense, how many players can move uh, up, down, uh, you know, if you're league one, can you come down to league two and, and vice versa We're you know, we have some, some policies in place, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes in, in league one and get the feedback from our, our member teams uh, to see if we should adjust it. But uh, the short answer is yes, but, you know, teams are moving uh, players from league one to league two and vice versa.
2: Yeah, and I think that's been a, you know, I coached them, I was an assistant coach in the league for a little while in the UWS and worked with some other teams. And I've, you know, I think that the updating of the website and the communication and the infrastructure that exists, which I know has only grown in the last three or four years um, with adding new positions and new personnel, but it's always been a league that um, is updated and is, like you said, listening to its member clubs. And uh, using best practices, so that's good to see. Um, and the formation of the UWS too, I think, is excellent. And um, uh, anything else you want to say about the upcoming weekend? You've got a full slate of games coming up.
3: Yeah, we you know we we started uh, uh, yes yesterday, yesterday last night, uh, but uh, you know our, our our season really kicks off here this coming weekend with, with a full slate of matches. But you know, at the end of the day, I think we're we're all just happy to be able to get. Uh, you know, players, coaches, staff, just get on that pitch and start start playing some, some meaningful games here uh, with all that's gone on in the year and a half. Uh, so we're excited.
2: Yeah, after the world has come to a bit of a standstill, we're we're excited about. We probably won't take for granted just being able to get out and play and watch games and be part of them, whether you're an official or a player or an administrator or whatever it might be. It's great to see that uh, the league is up and running again. Tell me, Joe, as we're just about ending here. Um, what, uh, what do you, what is it that drives you to do this job as league commissioner and work with the league itself?
3: Yeah. Great, great question. I, I question it every year. I do it, uh, even from a team <laughs> owner standpoint, <laughs> but it, it, it's passion, passion for the game. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily uh, done for financial gain and, uh, you know, you you, you see players uh, moving on to the next level, and uh, you, you know appreciate the opportunities you give them, I and mean, that's that's kind of what it's all all about. It's, it's just passion for the game.
2: Yeah, passion for the game and giving something back. Right, I understand that. Joe, I really appreciate you being on with us here at Michigan Soccer Central in our initial podcast of the year. Um, thank you for all that you're doing for the league, and uh, thanks for being on with us. And I hope you have a good day. And um, Hope the weekend coming up is a successful one for all teams involved.
0: Appreciate it, David. Anytime. Thank you for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. And welcome back to the Michigan Soccer Central Podcast. Thank you, Dave and Joe Ferrer, the uh, commissioner for the UWS League. Um, Here we're going to run through some quick scores that we have for the past weekend that we did not get to. So we have DCFC, as we noted, beating New Amsterdam FC 1-0 in the NISA competition. For the UWS two, we had Grand Haven Admirals 1-1 with the Corktown U-23s. We had Mid Midwest United 4-2 to Lansing United. And then moving on to the UPSL. We had Global Rising FC three two to the Cedars FC. Uh we had in the Midwest Premier League, we had the West Michigan Bearings beating LK St. Clair three zero. That one hurt today. <laughs> That one hurt a little bit. We'll just move on from that one. Uh, Chattanooga FC beating the Stars 2-1 in that controversial 95th-minute penalty. Uh, So if you haven't taken a look into that, I encourage you to go look at it and kind of show us or tell us what you think. Do you feel it was true? Do you feel like that's fair? Uh, Just let us know. And then moving on from that, we had the Grand Haven Admirals in the UPSL beat Hamtramck City 6-4. Big score line there. Um, That's one for the fans. Yeah, there you go. There's some highlights for you. Um, Kalamazoo FC defeated BIH Grand Rapids 4-0 in a friendly. Uh, And then this Sunday, we had UWS Corktown versus Muskegon Risers. Corktown steaming ahead 9-0. We had in the USL 2, your Oakland County FC beat Fort Wayne and DeMarcus Beasley 3-0. So he drove a long way to get uh, smacked. Um. And then we had a friendly between Inner Detroit and Detroit Union with uh, Detroit Union coming on top 3-0. So with we us do. talking about the Oakland County game, let's uh, let's lead into that one. How did you feel you were there? Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience. How did that feel?
1: It was the first home game back for Oakland County FC in 666 days. And, uh, when I looked that up, that made me a little nervous. That's kind of a weird number, but, uh, it was fan. It was really fantastic. It was, <laughs> you could tell, uh, we hadn't, uh, gone through a game day routine in, in a while, but the game itself was, uh, fantastic. Uh, it was edgy at first, but, um, the, the center back defense, uh, the, the speed from OCFC was really impressive in times past, uh, Oakland County. We'd uh, score a lot of goals, but give up a lot of goals, and we didn't have enough speed on the back line, but that seems to be a lot different. Uh, every time uh, Fort Wayne tried to get a breakaway, our center backs were more than up to the challenge, and uh, our, our, our our midfield wasn't wasn't letting uh, Fort Wayne dribble through at all. Um, they were starting to get frustrated and frustrated, and uh, Fort Wayne took a first-half red card, so Shortly, I think uh, we Oakland County took the lead around the 17th or 18th minute mark. Uh, Nash Popovich uh, uh, shot through a, a crowded penalty area and it, and it snuck in through into the side netting and uh, Fort Wayne got pretty frustrated and uh, that was all exemplified uh, after, after they went down 1-0. Uh, the red card... From what I heard, I I only saw the the result. I didn't see the the action. But uh, from what I was, from what was exclaimed by uh, the the crowd at uh, Clawson City Park Stadium was that uh, uh, I think his name was Broccoli Oliveira for Fort Wayne uh, stomped on the back of the Oakland County player, so he got sent off, leaving wow. his team shorthanded for like at least an hour most of the game <laughs> almost the whole game so uh wow. Oakland county had had taken the lead it had really taken over and then the red card happened and uh fort wayne was kind of in survival mode after that kind of living on the edge with frustration and just kind of uh damage control and then uh, it was one zero at halftime Second half, uh, OCFC got another penalty, which uh, Nash Popovich got his second, tucking that away. And uh, after that, uh, OCFC kind of cruised. Um, once it looked like they were starting to tire a little bit, um, uh, in Fort Wayne, they never really like got a, too much of a foothold, but it looked like OCFC was starting to get tired, but then, um, were able to get a third goal and really really put it to bed and were able to cruise the last 10 minutes or so but some some amazing uh, performances in the midfield from uh, Kevin Buka and uh, um I almost said Bobby Wood Bobby Harris the 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 the, the group of boys from uh, Rochester uh really teaming up to do a really good job in the middle of the park for Oakland County FC And we had actually, we we didn't have a a great expectation for crowd with it being a a cold, rainy Sunday on Mother's Day Sunday on all on top of it. But the fans really showed up and we got a good crowd and it was a really good time. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of glowing over here. I haven't been able to talk about a game day in so long that it was was so much fun. And to, to get a shutout win, see three goals, I couldn't really ask for much more.
0: Yeah, and uh, from the other side of things on the Fort Wayne viewpoint, I mean, that's got to be frustrating. You're coming into a game, uh, and those are not one of those things where it's like a ref call or, you know, that's your teammate taking a stomp at somebody else. That's got to be frustrating. So I can only imagine uh, their viewpoint on the rest of the game just trying to scrape through, because that's discouraging to get something like that. But uh, on a different note, talking about Fort Wayne with DeMarcus Beasley being involved, uh, was he there? I heard he was there.
1: Yeah, he was there. My buddies, the uh, OCFC fans, they all got they, they all took pictures with him and stuff, and apparently he was uh, very gracious with his time, and he said hi to everyone that wanted to see him.
0: Yeah, I'm actually really surprised. I know we joked last week um, when we were talking if he would even show up or not, but he did. I mean... Props to him for coming to to Michigan and really showing out. So that's that was really cool.
1: Yeah, he was he was tweeting throughout the game, so he was like definitely very engaged in it and in the process and was, you know, involved in the in the game day process, which was really which was really cool. And uh, he's he he seemed genuinely excited about it and the it, connecting through the soccer world from higher levels down to the grassroots. It's it's, it's really cool to see. And uh, going back to the actual play on the field, I can't imagine. I, I never played at any, like, top-tier level. I did a little bit of traveling, but but nothing serious. I can't imagine, like, preparing for a whole week, driving across the country all day, get somewhere, and then pretty much something happens which ruins it in, like, 10 minutes. And then I, I can't imagine what that feeling is. Like, imagine even if you're, like, a pro and you get a red – you you know, you fly to the other side of the country and get a red card in the first 10 minutes and just blow the whole game plan and all the plans of everybody. I can't, yeah. I can't imagine what that feeling is like, <laughs> well, I'm glad I worked, you know, all week we, you know, spent the whole day on a bus for this.
0: <laughs> That's gotta be one of the first thoughts that goes through one of their heads like, well, thanks. <laughs> Welp. Um, but yeah, no, it looked really cool. I saw a lot of uh, media coverage with the fans there I saw the purple smoke. Um, I saw a lot of the things that I like, I, I was telling you about earlier about that Clawson Stadium is how it feels almost like an England-esque stadium. You know, it's a town park almost. Uh, it's close to all the houses. You get that little uh, – that smaller city feel. And and it's still a nice facility as well. So if you want to talk a little bit about that, how it feels to actually be there.
1: Yeah, I really like it. I mean, it's a small-capacity stadium. It's only about a 1,000. But, I mean, and it's, a, you know, one of, the, like, the American multi-use facilities where it's football and all that. But it's got, you know – pretty small grandstand, but it goes really long along the side of the field. And then a smaller one on the other side of the field. And it's, you know, surrounded by city park. And then on two corners, it's got, it's, you know, lined with houses and then the schools on the other side, but it's, it's not like a high school lot, you know, like you said, it's, it's more of a a neighborhood, you know, park stadium. It's, it's really cool. I, I really like being able to be like, if it goes over, over the fence, you know, that's on Elmwood drive or that's on Bywood, you know, <laughs> the, the ball goes out <laughs> into the street sometimes, but um, uh, it, it's super cool. And it's been so long since I've been to the game that when they popped the, uh, the, the smoke, I had like totally forgotten about that. And I was in the press box and I was like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> I smell smoke. Something I was just prepared for like the next bad thing to go ha- to to go wrong or something. I'm like, I smell smoke guys. But it was just the purple smoke after the goal. I was just being worried.
0: <laughs> now, does that uh that park that they play in or that stadium is that is that uh owned by Clawson? I'm not sure if you have any idea or or who. So it's a little owned- bit
1: complicated. So the field itself uh is uh Clawson Park District Field, but the press box and like the locker rooms are owned by the school district. So it is a municipal building but it's kind of divided up. But uh it's I mean during during the day and stuff I mean that field is the the field and the facilities and the stands I think they're only about 5 6 years old so everything's really nice and new but it's still kind of got a it's definitely a community community
0: area. No yeah that that's probably my favorite thing about it is uh, how close knit it all is. And when I when um, I
1: first moved there before that team cuz I moved to the area before the team was here. And I was always like, oh, that would be pretty sweet. You know, that's a genuinely a, like a neighborhood stadium. And and then I told the story how I became a fan. I was, you know, doing local soccer coverage, and I covered Oakland County FC, In the first event I covered, they were moving there. And so I knew I had my team after that.
0: And where did they play before that? Did they play in Royal Oak? Or... They played one
1: year in Royal Oak, and then before that they played
0: in – uh Rochester
1: Stony Creek.
0: Oh, that is that that Stony Creek Stadium that's kind of in the ground.
1: I believe so. I, I that was before my time, uh, but uh, I, from what I gather, it was a uh, pretty impressive, and they they got uh, uh, the high schoolers into it quite a bit uh, then. But um, I'm, I am I was really impressed with uh, the fan turnout on a uh, cold, wet Mother's Day Sunday. It, it was great to see. I wasn't sure if the, the time away in 2020 would, you know, dissipate everyone's enthusiasm because it kind of in 2019, we're building on something like we were kind of building community. We we're necessarily getting the results, but, you know, we're forming bonds. People are becoming friends that are the fans. And then the same like neighborhood regulars were starting to show up and then it gets really cool when people you have no idea who they are start coming and so it's starting to grow that and then obviously we missed out in 2020 so i wasn't sure is that you know everybody's really hungry for going to the game or is everyone going to forget about going to the game and based on today on a cold wet sunday mother's day they showed up so it's very encouraging and I'm really happy and to to get a three no win on top of it all is awesome and
0: yeah this much, is a major up. step
1: up in like league uh, perception at the very least with it being usl two uh up from the upsl and traditionally usl two uh you know that's called the the highest amateur league under or it's a pro development league well i'm actually curious to see i think a long-term storyline to look at is you know with five michigan-based teams in uh usl two and there was always used to just be the bucks, you know, will it still be that high level where, you know, they're sending them all to sending many, many players to, to pro clubs, or is it still going to be the bucks and we're just who they're playing? I want to see how that turns out.
0: Yeah. I mean, historically those, the bucks have, you know, they've always been sending players um, to the MLS um, super draft, the draft, those compound or those uh those compounds they send them to. So they have like <laughs> the a confines. really well respected com- I'm not sure I can't think of that word right now. A combine. Combine, not compound. Compound that's like a jail or <laughs>
1: science science stuff.
0: Yeah, so uh but yeah, hopefully you'll see a ripple effect with those other teams joining higher leagues and you know, becoming more developed in their teams and finding their footing. Hopefully we'll see more replication in youth, uh with Uh, how the bucks are doing it as well
1: with that all said a awesome weekend of michigan soccer lots and lots of teams getting active and uh, i think next weekend if there's any teams that haven't kicked off yet surely next weekend will be the one and far as this show michigan soccer central we want as many voices from across the state as possible coaches officials fans and if you just want to get your two cents in, you can uh, send your uh, takes into uh, Michigan Soccer Central socials, MISoccer Central across the board, or MISoccer Central at Gmail. You can send in a comment, question, concern, or what I'd really love to hear, like I said, is a voice. If you'd want to send in a audio memo, get your take on the game, your story of the game, or what you think is a story in the Michigan soccer scene that we have not touched yet, or you think that might not be on uh, too many people's radars. Again, hit us up central at gmail.com or across any of the the, uh, social medias. Before we go our own ways, you got anything else to chip in here,
0: Zoo? No, I'm excited to see what the next weeks have to come and see all these leagues and teams from Michigan get fully underway.
1: Okay, looking ahead to next week, We have uh, some interviews popping up. They might be released as a separate podcast during the week. And if not, uh, expect a large episode next weekend where we talk to Lansing Commons Ownership Group as they've had a long journey through multiple phases, rebrands, new ownerships, and all that. I can't wait because they are definitely one of the teams kicking off their new era up in the lansing so that should be exciting and then uh, i know also next week in another highlight game is uh detroit city fc's premier game in the uws so lots to come all right from zoo dan and everyone at michigan soccer central enjoy your soccer and we'll see you next time